world goes on and people are having difficulties, like Dwayne McGuffey and their, uh, Jan uh, Gentry Howard uh, uh, mentioned that uh, in tomorrow the Fifth Circuit is going to be hearing a case regarding the Plano School District because children brought candy canes to a Christmas party had Jesus' name on it. It's all gone all the way to the Fifth Circuit, which means if it'll probably, the potential is the next step, the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, so that's happening, you know, people are fighting for the faith and uh, people are fighting for their lives. And so anyway, we have a lot of things that are going on. And well, this case is being brought to the Fifth Court. Fifth Court is a court of appeals. In other words, it's already been to the District Court. Now it's been appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court, which will be a three-judge panel, probably in Louisiana. And uh, Liberty Institute is the one who's handling the case. Kelly Shackelford is the director of that. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Texas Law School. And uh, Aaron wrote the brief for this case my son Aaron. And the brief is really what the judges look at. The argument in front of the judges at the uh, circuit court is not really what turns the judges and forces their decision. The issue is the brief. And each side presents a brief and it goes to the judges and they read it and that's where all the arguments are really made. And so Aaron wrote the, at least I think it was the major brief for uh, Liberty. Uh, Institute. He does a lot of pro bono work for them. This is just one of the things he's done. So anyway, we need to think, pray about that. This will be not a religious issue. In other words, uh, separation of church and state type issue. This will be a free speech issue. Uh, all the lawyers, the Christian lawyers who have been dealing with constitutional cases regarding religion have learned that the way to go is not try to argue separation of church and state. They lose almost all those cases. So what they've learned is to argue these things regarding uh, freedom of speech. And so this will be a freedom of speech case. Well, anyway, let's take our Bibles and turn over to Revelation. That was more than you wanted to know, probably. But we want to pray for, pray for them as well, and we will at the end of the lesson. Well, you never know how the, how, uh, the question is, you know, how does Aaron think that the court will decide. Well, you never know those things. Probably will decide in favor of, uh, of the student, you know, uh, most likely. Uh, by the way, did you know that Ralph Jones has a summer haircut now? Look at that. I've never seen his hair that short. <laughs> He's gone from being a hippie to a conservative Republican. <laughs> okay, Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 17. Chapter 17 of Revelation. Now, let me remind you that chapter 15 and 16 is an overview of the bowl judgments, which are judgments that God is pouring out uh, on the Roman Empire uh, sometime in the future of John's writing. And he's got, tells John that he's, the Roman Empire is going to be judged for uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, for her idolatry. They are forcing people to worship idols and the Roman gods. And second of all, Rome will be judged because she persecutes Christians. And God's going to vindicate the Christians. So, that's what 15 and 16 are about, the bold judgments. Now, chapters 17 and 18 give us the details. So, if you can just remember that, 
The announcement of the bold judgments, 15 and 16, a little bit of insight, 17 and 18, the details. Okay? So let's look at chapter 17 and verse 1, and look what it says. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, so one of those angels that we saw back in 15 and 16, came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, there's several things you want to notice about this verse. First of all, notice that it is a vision. Notice the angel says, Come, I will show you something. Uh, John is having a vision. The angel is going to show him or reveal something to John about the future in this vision. Notice also there's a verdict. It says, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great harlot. In other words, God's going to tell or show John how he's going to judge uh, this nation. The object of God's judgment is called the great harlot. Uh, the prostitute, the whore is the way the uh, Hebrew or the Greek reads it. It's one who sells herself uh, for favors. In other words, she exchanges money in order to give uh, favor to a client. Okay? So the object of God's judgment here identified as a great harlot. Now, let's put it this way. Is God judging harlots? Is that what this is about? No, the harlot is symbolic. All this is symbolic, right? So what we're trying to do is figure out who these people are. Okay. Now look at the harlot's posture. The harlot who sits. She sits on something. That's her posture. Notice her subjects, whom she sits upon. She sits upon many waters. And so, if I said, what's this about? It's about judgment. It's about the judgment of a harlot. It's about the judgment of a harlot that sits on waters. Now we have to figure all this out. Okay, so who is the woman? Who is the harlot? Well, we discover who this woman is in verse 18. Look what it said. And the woman whom you saw is that great city. So we discover that the woman is that great city which in the parlance of Revelation is Rome. Rome is the great city. It's the capital of the Roman Empire. And it is not only, the woman is not only a city, the woman, the city is personified as a woman. So he's talking about a city who is personified as a woman. And not just any woman, a prostitute. A harlot. And Rome was personified by the goddess Roma. The name Rome comes from the name of the goddess Roma. And she was the mother of all the religions of Rome. And all the idolatry of Rome was based on this goddess Roma who was married to Zeus, the chief god of the Roman Empire. And so the woman who sits on many waters represents a city, and it also represents idolatry, the religion of Rome, if you will. Okay? Now, what are these waters in verse 1? She sits upon many waters. We'll look at verse 15. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are, look, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so the waters are the conquered nations. Rome has conquered the known world at that time. 
which were all the nations around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, west in Europe all the way to the edge of Asia, and down south to Africa. Rome controlled that whole region, which at that time was the known world. They didn't know there was an America, did they? When did that happen? 1492, so you're, you know, several hundred years away from them knowing that there, there was anything else in the world. They thought the world was flat, didn't they? Didn't people think that? Yeah, they thought that if you, that you could go as far as the eye could see, you know, the horizon, and then somehow you'd drop off. And they believed that all these gods controlled all the elements of the world, and the main god was Roma, the female god was Roma, and you would worship her so that she would take care of you. And so the waters represent the nations, the peoples of various tongues, ethnic origins that Rome has conquered. Now, notice that she sits on the peoples, or on the waters. Now, guess what that would indicate? If she sits on them, that indicates that she controls them. Right? She controls them. The fact that she sits on them means they support her. So here you have a picture of control and support. She controls the masses, and guess what the masses do? Support her. And that's the picture of Rome. That's the relationship Rome had with conquered people. She oppressed them. She controlled them. Their lives were determined by the laws of Rome. And in turn, the people supported Rome with taxes, money, all kinds of ways, worship of their gods, and all that kind of stuff. Now, Rome is portrayed here as a harlot or a prostitute. Now look who her customers are. Look at her clientele in verse 2. With whom, this harlot, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Now we're dealing with the kings of the earth. Who are this? These are her clientele kings. Her client kings, the ones she would conquer a nation, that king would, in return, support Rome. In return for favors. A big salary, a big house. These would be kings like King Herod and King Agrippa. And all those kings, they were kings that were appointed by Rome or recognized by Rome, and they would have a relationship with this Harlot. They would give their allegiance to Rome. They would worship the Roman deities. Look, Rome's called a harlot. Harlotry in the Bible spiritually talks about idolatry, doesn't it? You're committing harlotry. You're committing spiritual adultery. You're worshiping idols. And that's what these kings are doing. They are having this relationship with Rome and her gods by practicing idolatry and supporting the agenda of the Roman empire in return for privilege. Now that's not her only clientele. Look in the middle of verse 2. And the inhabitants of the world were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So here again we see that the inhabitants of the world, these are the conquered people. Guess what they're doing? They're having a relationship with her. They are intoxicated. It says that, doesn't it? Drunk. They're drunk with the wine of her... What's the wine of her fornication? Literal fornication? Is that what we're talking about here? Idolatry. These people are drunk on idolatry. They are giving, pledging their allegiance to the Roman Empire and doing what Rome requires, which is 
to worship their gods. Uh, there's a sense in which this is a picture of uh, patriotism gone wild. Rome, right or wrong, we support Rome. Uh, by the way, that's not really patriotism. America, right or wrong, we support America. That's not patriotism. That's called nationalism. There's a difference between nationalism and patriotism. Do you know that? Nationalism says, I support my country no matter what. Well, would you have said that if you were in Hitler's Germany? You loved your country, didn't you? Yes, you would have loved your country. You'd have been patriotic. But you wouldn't have been a nationalist. You wouldn't have been a social nationalist. See, there's a difference between nationalism, which is our country right or wrong, and patriotism, which is a love for country, and we want our country to do what's right. And we'll do what's right. And when someone does something wrong, we don't support that person, whether it's the President of the United States or the Senator. We'll get them out of the office if we can. But here was a, an empire full of people who just gave their allegiance blindly to the cult of Rome and to the Roman powers that be. And that would include Caesar and the Roman Senate and all that. Okay? So that's that picture. Now, he says, I'm going to show you these things. Come and I'm going to show you these things. He said in verses 1 and 2. Now, we actually get the picture in detail. Look at verse 3. And so he carried me away in the spirit, which means it's a vision here, into a wilderness. And suddenly he opens his eyes, and what he sees around him is not the room where he's sitting or on the mountain on which he's sitting. Suddenly he sees a wilderness in his vision. That's a place of desolation. Okay? place of desolation. A place where demons, a haunt for demons. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now we know who the beast is because we've identified the beast back in chapter 13. That was the emperor. That was Caesar. Caesar is the beast. Satan is also called a beast. But I think in this case it's the emperor. Notice the color of the beast. Scarlet. These are imperial colors. Royal colors. And so she not only controls the masses of people, which is called the waters, guess who else Rome and her gods control? Caesar. She controls Caesar. She controls the empire. The entire empire are at her disposal. Now, what we have here in a sense, I want you to think politically for a second. I want you to think of a political cartoon. Have you ever seen a political cartoon in the newspaper or in a magazine? Political cartoons are where they, uh, some cartoonist draws a picture of a political individual or a political issue and it makes it look funny, distorts it, to grab your attention. Often it's a lampoon. So in, uh, we see political uh, cartoons all the time. Remember when uh, Bill Clinton was president? He said, uh, you know, I never had sex with that woman. Yeah. And uh, what did you see? A cartoon. The next day, the political cartoons would come out. There's a picture of Bill Clinton with a Pinocchio nose. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I want you to think of this as a political cartoon. We have a vision. But it's a vision, not of reality. But it's a way a political cartoonist would draw it. Okay, so he's going to draw a picture of Rome, and guess how he draws Rome? A harlot. A prostitute. And guess what? 
She's riding something. So imagine this prostitute riding on the back of the emperor. See? And uh, the emperor is clothed in royalty, royal garb and scarlet. See? And not only is she on the emperor, she's riding the whole masses of the empire. And if you can see this in your mind as a cartoon as I lay this out, is that as we read it, just keep adding that little piece to the political cartoon. And when you get to the end, you'll see how John in his vision sees Rome. Sees Rome differently than Rome sees herself. Rome sees herself as a great place. Rome is the eternal city. Hey, do we still call Rome the eternal city? Some people do, don't they? The eternal city. Well, if it's eternal, that must mean it's divine in some way. Yes, the gods are... So that's how Rome sees herself. Rome sees herself as an uh, empire of, uh, that produces law and order. Of course we want law, we want order. You have to have law and order in order to have peace. But what kind of peace is it? Well, it's a distorted peace. Rome doesn't see herself the way God sees Rome. So what we're getting here, in a sense, is a political cartoon. And watch how it, lay, how it unfolds. And you keep adding, and I'll remind you to keep adding this piece to the picture. Okay? So look at her attire. Look how she's dressed. By the way, we didn't finish verse 3. I was carried away into the wilderness. I saw a woman on the scarlet beast. That would be the emperor in the empire. And the beast was full of blasphemy. We've seen that back in 13. The emperor called himself God. He called himself Lord. He called himself Savior. This is blasphemous terms. These are terms that are reserved only for the one true and living God. He had seven heads and ten horns. Okay? Which is a picture that we've seen before. We'll talk a little bit about it again. So watch. Here's this woman. She's on the masses of people. She's on the emperor. He's dressed in royal garments. But guess what he's got? He's got seven heads and he's got ten horns. That's how God sees the emperor and the empire. So this, think of this political cartoon. Now look at her attire, how she's dressed. Verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. These are clothes befitting royalty. Uh, purple dress is the dress of the wealthy. Remember Lydia? She was a seller of what? Fine purple. And uh, she had a very rich clientele. Well, here is this uh, harlot, and she's dressed like royalty. She's wealthy. She's wearing something. She's wearing, what does it say she's wearing there? Besides her clothes, she's wearing gold, precious stones. Now, we're not talking about those kinds you buy in the department store, but precious stones. And, not semi-precious, precious stones and pearls. <clears throat> now, that's how she's dressed. Add that to the political cartoon. Woman riding on the back of a man. <laughs> Just imagine one of the people in this room right now. Imagine Queen Elizabeth riding on the back of a man. Here she is. Look, see that political cartoon? Got a crown on her head. She's got her jewels. She's wearing a robe. Yeah, it's perverse. That's what he's doing. Making a picture of a perversion here. Uh... And when you really start thinking about it, back in chapter 12, God's people are described as a woman. A woman holding 12 stars and a crown on her head. Remember that? 
one foot on the moon, one foot on the sun. Notice the difference between God's people, how the Bible portrays God's people, sort of a heavenly people, a people who are adorned with the sun and the moon, divine things. Here's a woman who is adorned with human things and earthly things, and she's perverse. She's a, she's a whore. She's a prostitute. God's people were described as being dressed in fine white linen, purity. Look how this woman's dressed, dressed like some harlot. You see, what he's doing, he's actually laying out in this book a tale of two cities, or to put it this way, two cities, Rome the New Jerusalem. One from below, one from above. It's a tale of two women, one pure, the wife, the bride of God, the bride of Christ, one impure, who represents Satan and tries to distort things. That's what this book's about. And when you see that, it becomes real clear, the meaning of it all. And then look what it says at the end of verse 4. She had in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication or her idolatry. So now let's add that to the political cartoon. She's not only riding the guy and riding the people, and she's dressed the way she is, but guess now what she's got in her hand? A golden cup. So she's riding that horse with that golden cup. Now, the cup is gold. On the outside, it looks beautiful. But what's on the inside? What's it say there in verse 4? Abominations and filthiness. See, On the outside, Rome looks good. Rome's claims seem sound. But in, if you could strip away that facade, you'd see that Rome is corrupt to the core. Okay? Now, look at her identity. Verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written. Now this is very interesting because in Bible times prostitutes wore headbands with their names on it. So a girl went out on the corner, she was going to prostitute herself, she put on her headband, you know, whatever her name was, you know. Twyla, you know, whatever her name was. Tootsie or whatever. And uh, so you would go and look at the women, and you'd say, oh, I want Tootsie over there. And that, that would be her, on her headband. It would be Tootsie or whatever her name was. And uh, so he's identifying her as a prostitute. Uh, that headband was called the, the harlot's brow. And all prostitutes had them. In fact, I think it was a law that prostitutes had to wear the harlot's brow, a headband that identified them. And so she has an identification band around her head. Now he says in verse 5, mystery. He's going to tell us. Now mystery is not her name. Mystery is, is, the, uh, is in a sense, her name is a mystery. And he's going to explain this mystery. Her name is cryptic. Her name is symbolic. Her name has to be figured out. And here is her name. Babylon the Great. Oh, wait a second. This isn't Babylon. Babylon was back in the 7th, 8th century B.C. Oh, yeah, but that's who she is. Rome is just like Babylon the Great. Who was Babylon? Remember the Tower of Babel? That's where something was introduced. Idolatry was introduced in Babylon. Remember that? There wasn't idolatry up until the time of chapter 11 and 12 in Genesis. 
And she's just like Babylon. Babylon the Great, only it's Rome. But this is her cryptic name. Look at this. Mother of harlots. That's her name. Well, literal harlots? No, not literal harlots. She's the source of all idolatry. That's what Babylon was. That's what Rome is. The abominations of the earth. People who get involved with her and worship her gods and get involved in idolatry are getting involved in abomination. And so we see that this is how she is described. And then he says this. He talks about her condition in verse 6. I want you to add this to your political cartoon. You ready? I saw the woman drunk. Oh, now let's go. Ready? She's riding that horse, the beast, the nation, the empire. She's got her crown. She's all decked out. She's got her cup, and guess what she's going? <laughs> drunk as a skunk. That's the picture of this great, mighty, divine city and empire, Rome. This is how God sees it. Drunk. Watch this. Verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. Now most people when they get drunk, get drunk with wine. But guess what intoxicates her? Murder. Murder of God's people. The persecution of God's people. Rome is uh, now John sees this happening in the future to Rome. This is a little futuristic picture that's going to happen sometime in the immediate future to John writing this. He sees Rome drunk with the blood of the saints, the martyrs. And Rome will uh, kill thousands of Christians. And he says this at the end of verse 6, And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I was astonished. I went, whoa! <coughs> what in the world does this mean? I've never seen anything like this. So uh, he's trying to figure all this out. Now look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, well, why do you marvel? <clears throat> well, I can't figure it out. You know? I'm trying to figure this out. And the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman. Let me explain what it all means. And of the beast that carries her, and the seven heads, and the ten horns. So now the angel is going to interpret the vision. And look what the angel says in verse 8. First of all, he says, The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, if we just read what that says, literally, just take a look at it, we'll figure out what it means. The beast that you saw was, that means he was alive, Look what it says in verse 8. Is not, which means he's what? Dead. And he will ascend, which means he will come back to life. This is a parody of the death, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, this is the emperor. This is uh, the, the Lord, the God of Rome in human flesh. And just as Christ uh, was alive. Uh, he died, and guess what happened? He came back to life, didn't he? So what we have here is the emperor is described in those ways. So this is a parody. But I want you to notice the difference. When Christ is raised, 
Look what it says here. The beast which you saw was, he was alive, is not dead, but he will ascend. He will ascend out of the bottomless pit. That speaks of his source. And now his destination. And he will go to perdition. You see that? He will go to perdition. When Christ ascended, where did he go? He went to heaven. This is a parody. Caesar claimed to be the Lord, the Savior, and guess what he did? Well, I sort of like that. Yeah, we're going to see this guy dies. He's a, he was alive, he died, he's raised, but he's going to go to perdition. Now, what's he talking about when he says he was alive, he died, and he was raised? Well, what we're going to see this is going to bring us back to Nero again. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to explain just quickly about the Emperor Nero and what he was like, because... Uh, well, I'll say this much. Remember, they believed that Nero was like the fifth major uh, uh, emperor of Rome. And Nero planned, remember I said this a few weeks ago, he planned to burn a section of the city so he could build a great palace for himself. He needed to get rid of these shanties in Rome, and that's where he's going to, sort of like government today, you know, sort of eminent domain, you know. He was just going to get rid of this material, this, these buildings so he could build his own palace there. So he starts a fire, and the fire gets out of hand. Burns the whole city now. Just about. And so the Roman Senate is so angry at him, they arrest the emperor. This is just unheard of. And they pronounce the death penalty on Emperor Nero. And uh, they were going to kill him. But the day before his execution, he escaped. Nero escapes. And the thought was that Nero committed suicide. So even though he's alive, he now dies. Dying publicly, he just commits suicide. But there was a theory going around that he had actually escaped the Roman Empire, went beyond the borders to the region where the Parthians lived and that he was one day going to raise up a Parthian army and going to come back and defeat Rome, <laughs> who sentenced him to die. So there's a sense in which they believe that he was going to come back to life. The guy who died, in the sense, is going to come back to life, at least symbolically, and try to defeat the Roman Empire. So when you look down at this, you're going to see how all this fits into place, and it's sort of amazing. Look at verse 9. Now here's the mind with which has wisdom. He said, put on your thinking caps now, because I want you to start thinking a little bit, because this is going to take some figuring out. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now we see that Rome is a city of seven mountains, and so uh, this woman who is personified probably the goddess Roma is sitting on the city of Rome something along this line. There's a coin out. Uh, in those days there was a coin with the goddess Rome Roma sitting on the throne on the seven hills of, of uh, the city of Rome. So he may have something like this in mind. There are seven. There are also seven kings. Now this is, she's going to talk about these things. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. Five kings have gone, have died. One is, that's the present king, or the emperor, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he will continue a short period.
period. Now, what in the world does all this mean? Very seems very, very confusing. She says there are five kings, and this represents five emperors. If you're going to take the numbers literally, five and one and one equals what? Seven. Seven is a symbolic number. She may, you may just be talking about all the emperors. There's going to become an emperor. All the emperors in the past have died. There's one in existence now, but there's going to rise up another one. It simply means something like that. And uh, so he's talking about some sort of future emperor who's going to come. Now look at verse 11. The beast that was, was alive, and is not, is now dead, is himself also the eighth. Now there's going to come an eighth emperor. Now this gets very confusing, doesn't it? But you know the crazy thing is, there are people who can take this and figure it all out and tell you exactly what's going to happen in the future. Like Harold Camp. Now watch it. There's an eighth emperor in verse 11. And he is of what? The seven. Wait. There's an eighth rising and he's going to be among all the emperors. He's going to come out of the emperors. And he is going to perdition. See, now this is where the Nero theory comes in. The Nero theory is that, guess what? He was one of the emperors. Guess what? He's going to come back and be the eighth. He's going to come back from exile where he's hiding, and he's going to be the eighth. So this is the Nero myth. And that's where all that comes in. But whoever it is, there's an eighth emperor who's going to rise up, it says in verse 11. But where is he going to end up in end of verse 11? Perdition. You see that? He's going to end up in perdition, this eighth emperor, Roman emperor. Now look at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Now, he says, I want to talk to you about a future emperor. And I want to talk to you about some future client kings. We don't know who they are. They don't have any reign right now. Not yet. But I want to talk to you about a future ten kings. Now look what he said. By the way, this is where, right here, in this verse, where it talks about verse 10, future 10 kings, is where all the prophecy buffs come up with every kind of nonsense scenario you can think of. Hal Lindsey said, this is going to be the European common market of 10 nations. Well, when it got up to 11 nations, he was in trouble. And then 12 nations and 14 nations, he was in trouble. Because he took that 10 and he linked it to today's present day and he identified it with the European common market. Tim LaHaye says, I think this is, could be, he doesn't say possible, he says, I think it could be the UN Security Council. The UN, the UN Security Council. Right now there are five members of the UN Security Council. United States, Russia, United But I think it could expand to five more and it'll be ten. That's the ten K. See, this is speculation. This is where people with good sense, Harold Kemp, get off and end up having angle in their face. All we know is that he's talking about a future Roman emperor and ten kings who at this point, he doesn't know who they are. They don't have, an they don't have kingdoms yet. Now look what else it says in verse 12. 
But they receive authority. They're going to get some authority, these kings, who don't have kingdoms. For one hour. You mean they're only going to be kings for 60 minutes? No, what does it mean? Short time. That's right. They're going to be kings for a short time. Look what it says right at the end of the of verse 12. With the beast. And he's going to only be the emperor for a short time. This eighth guy, whoever he is. This is what John sees in the vision. Okay. This is all visionary. So look what he says. These are of one mind. These ten kings. Verse 13. And they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will support the emperor, this new emperor who comes on the scene, this eighth Caesar. Look at verse 14. They will make war with the Lamb. Who is that? Christ. And the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him, with Christ, are called, chosen, and faithful. So what we have is a war. A war against the Lamb. What kind of war? Well, it means they're going to persecute Christians. Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecuting you? Who are you? Who is Saul persecuting? Church. Persecute the Lambs and persecute the church. He's describing a future emperor and kings who align themselves with him for a short period of time, and they bring a great persecution upon the church. Then he said to me, verse 15, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are the people's multitudes, nations, and tongues. We've dealt with that. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast. Now these are those ten horns, these ten future kings. These will hate the harlot. Wait a second, there's a twist coming. What's going to happen? What do you mean they're going to hate the harlot? Who's the harlot? Rome. Rome and her religion. These ten kings and this future emperor, guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn on Rome. They're going to turn against her. This sort of treasonous act. They will hate the harlot. Now look at this. Verse 16, they will make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Which means Rome is going to be destroyed. Now, this all fits in with that Nero scenario because the people believe that Nero was off in the region of the Parthians, which was east of Jerusalem, east of Israel. And these were called the barbarians. And the barbarians were always making sneak attacks across the border to attack Rome. And they believed that Nero, this was one of the myths, they believed that Nero was going to come and get an army together and ten kings, and he was going to invade Rome, and he was going to overthrow Rome. Now, Rome is eventually overthrown. We know that in 410 AD it's sacked. And uh, it's basically the end of the Roman Empire as they knew it in the first century. So all John is saying, and I'm not saying that it's Nero, I would never say that. All John is saying is, I see that Rome's days 
are numbered. Rome is going to be defeated. She's going to be desolate. She's going to be naked. Hey, naked? Wait, she's wearing royal robes, isn't she? Yeah, she's not going to be wearing royal robes for long. You can see exactly what she is. So, he's just saying that Rome is going to be destroyed. Now look at verse 17. Why does this happen? For God has put it in their hearts, that's the kings and the, the new emperor, to what? Fulfill his purpose. To be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast, that's the new emperor, until, look, until the words of God are fulfilled. In other words, Rome's fall and the means of her fall are all part of God's plan. This is God's doing, and when he's finished with them, guess what? They'll be defeated just as well. And uh, this is the way God deals with nations. God deals with nations by having one nation invade another nation and have that nation destroyed or taken over, and guess what? That is what, and it's all God's doing. So when you see nations crumble right in front of your eyes on television this past, this past spring, that was all God's doing. This beast and these kings have no idea that they are mere instruments in the hand of a living God. That God is the one that's put it in their mind and given them the authority and directed them to do it and they don't even realize that they're being used by God. They think it's all their own doing. And those nations that are falling and invading, they think, hey, this is just the way things are. This is democracy happening. This is God working in the world. This is how God works. We're all instruments in the hands of God. And then he says this in verse 18, And the woman that you saw is that great city, that's who falls, which reigns over the kings of the earth. It seems like it's so invincible. One day it won't be invincible. It will literally be destroyed. And when God's done with everything, and this is how nations, even today, this, this scene, right, which you see here, that happened way back when, is happening every day in modern times. It's happening right in front of our eyes, and many times we don't even recognize it. It's the story of Revelation being worked out. And rulers, therefore, come, and rulers go, and nations rise, and nations fall, and in the end, the only kingdom that stands is the kingdom of God. Because that's God's point. So what you have here is the story of two kingdoms. The kingdom of man, which is represented by Rome, and the kingdom of God. A city named Rome, another city named the New Jerusalem. One identified as a harlot, one identified as a pure brother. One that sits on a beast, one that's adorned in stars, with a foot on the moon and a foot on the sun. One that's given to idolatry, one that's given to the worship of the true God, no matter what. And uh, so that's what he's doing in chapter 17. Now in chapter 18, what he's going to do, he's going to show us how Rome falls economically. How there is an economic collapse of the entire financial system in Rome. And guess what? You see that happening today too, don't you? See, Rome is laying, Revelation is laying out the scenario of how it happens every generation. See? 
And all you have to do is read chapter 18 and then look at your morning newspaper. And you understand why Greece is going down and why other countries are going down financially and why this country is going down financially. It's because when we get our priorities wrong, God steps in and he gets your attention. So next week we'll pick up the chapter 18 and we'll look at the details of Rome's, the fall of Rome's economic system. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. We know it's not easy. Apocalyptic language, prophecies, symbols, mysteries. Lord, help us to, to get the big picture. Help us to understand that there are principles that are being laid out here in front of us. Principles that if we can discern... And principles, if we can practice, will guarantee that we will remain faithful. We will be on the right track. And when the world's falling apart, you'll give us assurance that you're going to take care of us. And Lord, even if we get caught up in it, we become victims of the circumstances around us, and not of our own making, you guarantee us that, Lord, we will inherit the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness on the earth. When everything is cast away, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. We'll be citizens and prominent citizens of that kingdom because of our faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray.